So uh, full disclosure, um, I was originally going to preach on something um, totally different today, a totally different topic. Uh, I was supposed to marry with Pat's sermon um, last week on anger. But the spirit just kind of kept on nagging at me to, to share something a little bit more personal. Um, I, I just wasn't feeling the other topic. And so what I want to talk about today uh, is this topic of passion, right? passion. And to be just completely honest and, and forthright, um, I do not possess a lot of passion um, these days. Uh, when I look at my own life, um, I just kind of see a general lack of excitement and, and zeal um, and a zest for life. Uh, everything kind of feels routine. Everything kind of feels monotonous. And obviously because of COVID and, and the pandemic and the lockdown, um, that doesn't help things, right? And um, in the past year, I, I've just catch myself getting into these mental funks every once in a while. And um, maybe some of you guys can relate to that, right? Um, and, and when you're in a rut, right, when you're in a situation like that, uh, there's this temptation to believe that, well, if I can just change the circumstances, if I can just change the circumstances, um, I can get out of this rut, right? And to be sure, there's definitely times where, um, yeah, just... You know, you got to change things up, right? There are seasons of life where you need to leave something behind to enter into something new. Um, so I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Uh, I'm talking about this thinking that if you just fill your life up with enough exciting things, with enough fun things, um, then you'll be happy and fulfilled, right? You'll get out of this funk. You'll get out of this rut. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally depressed, but if I just watch a little bit more Netflix, you know, That'll be the answer. Um, or if I can just make it to, to my next vacation, right? If I could just make, make it to that next vacation, then, you know, it'll recharge my batteries and it'll get me going. Um, but, the, but the reality is, right, like, you're right back into that funk, into that malaise as soon as you get home from that vacation, usually. And so when you, when you lack passion in life, Right? You always look towards things and not life itself. Can okay, I repeat that? When you lack passion in life, you're always looking towards things and not life itself. And escaping boredom is not the same thing as pursuing life. Okay? Escaping boredom is not the same thing as pursuing life. And so a question I want to ask off the bat is, do you approach the life God has given you with passion? Like when you look at your life, is there a passion there? Is there like this zest for life, this passion for God? If I ask you, if I ask everyone here, Christian, uh, what is the purpose of your life? Uh, most likely you will respond with some form of, the purpose of my life is to glorify God, right? Um, and, and glory means like, like heavy, like weighty. Um, you know, my purpose is for God to be weighty uh, in my life, to be significant in my life, right? He's the cornerstone. Um, I exist to make much of him. That's another way to put it. 
Um, my purpose is to glorify God, if someone asks you that question, okay? And here's my follow-up question to that. Right. Is it possible to glorify something without passion? Is it possible to glorify God without passion? And when I say passion, I'm not talking about like, like theatrics or volume. I'm not talking about like, oh, introvert, extrovert kind of thing, okay? But passion just like the fervor, like the affection in your heart, okay? When you think about that thing or that person, right? That, that's passion, right? The zeal for that thing. And so for the Christian, for us, all right, our contentment in, li- in life is, is married to our passion for God. If you're sitting here today, you're watching, right? If you're lacking joy, uh, if you feel unfulfilled, uh, if you feel stuck, you feel aimless, directionless, and what you need, what we need, what I need, is to recover our passion for God. Exercise is good, hobbies are good, vacations are good, uh, having a fulfilling job is good. Um, but those things, like all of God's gifts, if you separate those things from God, right, at best this is a distraction and at worst it becomes an idol. All right, and so we can't separate that, those things from God. And so we're going to look at this idea of passion um, in three movements today. And so number one, if you're taking notes, does God want us to be passionate about him? Right? Does, does God even care about that? Like, does God just, is God just cool with obedience, you know? Like, is God just cool with us knowing him and believing in him? Does God even care if we're passionate about him? Number two, what are some passion killers? And then finally, number three, we're going to look at how to recover our passion. Okay? So let's start with number one. Does God want us to be passionate about him? Okay? Like, is it okay just to like God? Do we have to, to love God? Like, like, love, love. And so let's look at what the scriptures say, right? You're not here for, for my opinion. Okay, let's turn to, to Mark. I'll put the, the scriptures on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But let's look at Mark 12, verse 30. And this is Jesus responding to a Pharisee's question about what is the most important commandment of God. And, and you've seen this verse before, right? Mark 12, 30. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Heart, soul, mind, strength. So Jesus is implying that the way we ought to love God is with our whole person, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and even physically. It's not an ethereal kind of love. It's not an academic kind of love. It's this real love. It's this real exhaustive love that we're supposed to have for God. And so for you, what would that look like? 
What does it look like for you to love God with all your heart? What will it look like to love God with all your soul? What will it look like to love God with all your mind? What will it look like to love God with all your strength? Let's look at another passage. This is Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You read this verse, it's funny, right? It's like, ah, oh, it's God? God, like, insecure? <laughs> like, what's his deal, you know? Like, why does he demand our allegiance in this way? And the reason for that is because God is serious about our devotion to him. Because if we worship anything else, it just leads to destruction. It just leads to death. And so God is very serious about our devotion. Right? God is fiercely protective of you and your good. It's not an insecurity thing. It's out of his love. So just think about this. The creator of the universe is jealous over you. God, God, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and Omega, he is jealous over you. That's, that's a trip. You were created as an object of God's love. So why wouldn't he be jealous over you? And so when we look at this verse, it, it's clear that God is passionate about you. And so it only makes sense for us to reciprocate that passion for God, right? Let's look at a psalm. Psalm 37, 4 through 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Uh, I want to just kind of key in on the word delight here. It's not just about believing in God. Right? It's not just about obeying God. But what's it saying? It's saying we're called to delight in him. You're supposed to relish God. You're supposed to savor him. Supposed to be thrilled by God. Supposed to find pleasure in God. When's the last time that you delighted yourself in the Lord? Like you just put aside some time just to savor God, just to savor His goodness just to delight in his kindness and his grace. Let's look at one more passage to reinforce this idea that yeah, we're not just called to know God, just to believe in God, but to actually be passionate about him. Okay, Romans 12, 11. 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Straightforward. Don't lack zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Right? Zeal and fervor. Okay? What kind of language is that? It's like intensity. Right? Passion. God wants us to be passionate about him. So, So the answer to that question is yes. God wants us to be passionate about him. I just know him. A half-hearted relationship with God, that's just not a thing. If you're unmoved by God and God's love and God's passion for you, if you're unmoved by that day after day, eventually your faith is going to flounder. And I think the scriptures that we looked at makes clear that there is supposed to be a level of depth, right? A level of depth and emotion uh, that marks our relationship with God. And so does God want us passionate about him? Yes. 100% yes. Now let's look at um, some warning signs um, in our faith journey. Um, these are things that are passion killers, okay? things that kill our passion for God. These are things that are going to rob your joy. Uh, these are things that are going to keep you from having uh, a constant passion for the Lord. Um, this is not an exhaustive list um, by any means, um, but just some big ones. Okay? So what are some passion killers? Uh, let's look at Revelation 3. Verse 15 through 16. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So the first thing, uh, the first passion killer is an unclear purpose, okay? An unclear purpose. When you forget that the purpose of your life, that's a sure way to kill your passion for life and for God. All right, life without purpose, it's just activity and no direction. And whenever you forget your purpose, you naturally drift towards apathy. Uh, Isaiah 49.4 it says, I have labored in vain. Right? I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. So again, if I ask you guys, what is the purpose of your life? Right? Going back to that question I posed at the beginning, all right, you're going to say something like, my purpose is to glorify God. My purpose is to make much of God. And that would be a good response. That would be a true response. All right? But we need to take that to the next level. Okay, what does it look like for you to glorify God specifically? What does it look like for you to glorify God in your home? What does it look like to glorify God when your parents get on your case? What does it look like to glorify God when your kids drive you crazy? 
what does it look like to glorify God in your workplace? What does it look like to glorify God when your coworkers are talking trash about your boss? What does it look like to glorify God with your finances? What does it look like to glorify God when you have conflict with someone? What does it look like to glorify God at church? We can go on and on, right? We, I, I, just, I can be up here for an hour just talking about, right, what does it look like? What does it look like to glorify God? But the reason that, that we need to be super intentional is so that we can actually identify how we're going to be sanctified. Right? If someone asked you, if someone came up to you and asked you, hey, how have you grown in faith in the last year? How have you grown in Christ-likeness in the last year? Would you have specific examples you could share? If our purpose is to glorify God, all right, don't we want to be strategic about how we're going to go about that? A lack of clarity is going to lead to a loss of passion. Okay? So that's the first, that's the first passion killer, an unclear purpose, where you just kind of, your Christian life is just kind of floating, right, just random, but no specific plan on how you're going to grow, okay, the first passion killer is an unclear purpose. The second passion killer is isolation from community, okay, it's isolation from community, Proverbs 11.14 says this. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Go to DG. (laughs) Go to DG. I'm just half kidding, but seriously. Um, the, The whole concept of community, right? That comes from God himself. That comes from the Godhead, the Trinity, God himself exists in three persons. It's right there. We need relationships. Right? I mean, I, I, I don't really need to go into this too much, right? I think it's self-explanatory. Um, in the past year, man, we've seen just how dangerous it is, right? And, and how sad it is and the consequences of, of a lack of social interaction, a lack of community. Depression's up, suicide's up. Right. Community is where you find support. It's where you're going to find encouragement. It's where you're going to find accountability. Community is the place where your passion for God is going to get stirred up. And I don't care how spiritual you think you are or like how solid, quote unquote, you think you are theologically, okay? If you skip out on a community consistently, your heart's eventually going to turn cold. It's just going to turn cold to the things of God. Um, yeah, corporate worship, right? Fellowship. Right? This is God's idea. And we would never admit it, but I feel like sometimes we think we're smarter than God. Right? You would never say that. You would never admit it. 
but I think I confess, right? Just I know better. I know better than God. I can handle it. And that's just hardcore arrogance, right? Spiritual arrogance and a lack of humility. Okay. And so we're wired for community, and that's where we're going to thrive spiritually. Okay, you're not going to thrive spiritually. You're not going to cultivate a passion for God on your own. I don't care how many sermons, podcasts, books you read, right? It's, it's not going to happen. God designed it that way. Don't try to outsmart God. Don't try to outspiritualize God, right? God has set up the church for a reason. So that's passion killer number two, isolation. Number three, all right, the next passion killer is a big one, unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. There are a few things that rob us of our joy, rob us of our passion, uh, more quickly than guilt. And here's how it works with guilt, okay? The sin in our lives. Nobody like walks around thinking like, oh, I have sin in my life. I'm a, I'm a guilty person, right? We, we kind of like rationalize our sin. And I consciously we think like, it's okay because everyone does it or it's not a major sin, it's not a big deal. But then subconsciously, right, like gnaws at us, right? And then subconsciously, like whenever it gets really quiet, that guilt just kind of will pop into your mind, okay? And I bet right now, subconsciously, like even as I'm talking about it, it's like it's popping up in your mind. Got unconfessed sin. And here's just the reality, I think, about, about human beings and, and human nature. You can't feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. You can't. You can't feel guilt and passion at the same time because guilt, by its very definition, it robs you of passion. Look at Psalm 38. This is what it says about, about sin and, and the weight of sin and unconfessed sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Verse 6, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. Verse 8, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. When you have unconfessed sin, you feel like crap, right? Like if you, are, if you are really a Christian and you have unconfessed sin, you feel like crap, you feel like garbage. You'll feel this weight, you'll feel burden, you'll feel sad. You feel all jacked up inside in your heart. Unconfessed sin is gonna kill your passion for God. The two things, they just can't coexist. It's like oil and water. And if they are coexisting, it's because you're faking it. Confess your sin. At DG. 
Last passion killer. Like I said, this isn't an exhaustive list. Um, there's, there's a lot of other things that will kill our passion for God. Um, but the last one is an undernourished spirit. A undernourished spirit. And this one kind of connects with the previous three, right? It's, it's kind of an umbrella almost over the previous three. Um, an undernourished spirit is going to kill your passion for God. Every day, we face all kinds of circumstances that conspire to, to shrink our spirit, to shrivel up our hearts. You're going to get up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and there's going to be distractions. There's going to be disappointments. Tomorrow, you're going to have conflict. You know, you're going to have change that you need to deal with. You're going to have challenges arise. You're going to have problems tomorrow. You're going to have pressures tomorrow. You're going to be frustrated about something. You're going to be afraid about something. You're going to be tired, maybe. And all of these things, right, this is just life. It just kind of falls in on you. And shrivels your heart. It shrinks your spirit. And so what do you have to do to combat that? We have to intentionally nourish our spirit. If you don't do it, no one else is going to do it for you. Nobody else is going to nourish your spirit. And so if you don't take the time and the trouble to do it, your spirit's going to dry up. How do we nourish our spirit? It's obvious. We connect to Jesus. Let's look at John 15. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's just a couple verses. John 15, 4 to 5 says this. This is Jesus. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we don't abide in Jesus, we will not be passionate about God, full stop. You can't please God apart from God. Trying to be a good Christian without wanting to be with Jesus, that's just self-serving, right, at the end of the day. Right? You'll quickly, you're just quickly going to lose your passion for God because it's not being sustained spiritually. It's all just an act of the flesh. It's all just willpower. Uh, Hebrews 11, it's not up there, but Hebrews 11 says, without faith, what? It is impossible to please God. And so an undernourished spirit is a passion killer. Those are just four red flags to look out for. Okay. Do you see any of those? in your life, and could there be a correlation 
as to why you are lacking in passion towards God, why you are lacking in zeal for God. An unclear purpose, isolation from community, unconfessed sin, an undernourished spirit. So if those are the red flags, how can we go on the offensive then? Right, so those are the things to watch out for, but how can we go on the offensive and what are things we can do then? Right, what, what, is there an application here? You know, is there something we can do? Can we be proactive to recover our passion for God or to cultivate a passion for God? And so yes, of course, right? Here we go. How to recover our passion. Uh, Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5 says this. This is Jesus speaking. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. How do we recover our passion? First, if you've lost your passion for God, step one is to admit it. Admit it. Be real. Be honest. So this is Jesus' rebuke towards the church in, in Ephesus, and he says, he says, repent, right? Okay, admit, right? Your fault. And then what? Do the works you did at first. Repent, and then do the works you did at first. Do the things you used to do when you first fell in love with Christ. What are some of those things? Steady prayer life, consistent Bible reading, singing praises on your own, not neglecting fellowship, confessing sin, serving the church. All right, those are just a few things that come to mind. I'm sure there's more. The point is this, if you want to recover your passion for God, do what you know you need to do. <laughs> it's not that you don't know, right? Unless you're a brand new Christian, right? It's not that you don't know what you need to do to develop a passion for God, right? So do it. Do it. Don't put it off. Um, another important word in this passage is, is the word remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Okay? Remember the good news that you've deviated from, that you've walked away from, that you've separated yourself from. Remember the gospel, basically. So how do we recover our passion for God a second way? Okay? We remember our salvation. Okay. The second way we recover our passion for God is to remember your salvation. Let's look at Psalm 107. It says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love 
of the Lord. Psalm 51.12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. What does it say here? What does the wise Christian do? They consider, they consider, they think about the steadfast love of the Lord. They make it a habit to think about the love of God. Not just, I know God loves me. They make it a habit of remembering God is for us, not against us. They make it a habit of remembering there's, con- there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. They make it a habit of remembering his mercies are new every morning. They make it a habit of remembering that Jesus is preparing a place in heaven for us. We remember our salvation, right? You think, you meditate every day on the love God has for you and the price Jesus paid for you. And you pray every day asking God to restore the joy of your salvation. Uh, Romans 12, it's, it's not up there, but, right? What does it say? It says by remembering God's mercy, right? In light of God's mercy, okay? We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. When we remember God's mercy for us, right? That breeds passion. That breeds worship. Okay, when we remember God's love, when we remember our salvation, when we remember his mercy. Okay. Um, let's look at one more way we can recover our passion for God. Do everything as if you're doing it for God. Do everything as if you're doing it for God. Colossians 3, let's take a look at it. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you see that all of your actions can be a form, can be a way of glorifying God, it brings passion to mundane tasks. Nowhere is this tested more than living with a three-year-old. If you're, parent, if you're parents, you know this, right? There are just toys everywhere all the time, like in our house. The living room, the bedroom, the bathroom, like just, just everywhere all the time. And you clean it up, and then you blink, and then it's a mess, like again. Um, and honestly, just most of the time, I, I just clean it up. Most of the time, hand cleans it up. Sometimes I clean it up. When I do, um, it's usually just with indifference, you know, just throw it in the box, right? Uh, sometimes I clean it up with anger. 
Um, but on a few occasions, right, I tried to look at, at cleaning up those toys as if I was doing it for God. That even something like picking up toys, you can do it to glorify God. And when you kind of go in with that mindset, right, and, and you're like kind of cleaning up now like via the spirit and not the flesh, right, it's crazy. Like this, your attitude changes. Like it has to be supernatural because I, like who likes picking up toys, right, like for the thousandth time? You do it happily when you do it in the spirit, when you do something in the spirit, even something as mundane as picking up toys, you think, oh, God is watching and God is happy with this. Like, God is pleased. I'm, <laughs> I'm creating order out of chaos <laughs> like he does. You know, I'm doing my part, and that sounds silly, right? Um, but I think that's what it means to do something to the glory of God. Like, you can do any, it's, it says in Corinthians, you can do anything to the glory of God. How about something more applicable for everyone here? Right, not everyone here has kids. Uh, work, school. What if you saw your work as serving the king of the universe? What would happen if you saw every project at work, every project at school as an assignment from God. A passion for God, it changes your perspective on mundane things. It turns them into, into sacred acts of worship. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm over-spiritualizing this. Um, but I don't know. I, th I think people who are like excited about doing simple things because they're doing it for God, I think that's cool. I think it's beautiful. Makes me think about those, those Christians that are like ridiculously happy all the time. You know those people? Have you ever like ran into those Christians? Like Ned Flanders in real life? Like they're just like happy all the time and like stoked for God, like Jesus, like all the time. And you're like, you're wondering like, that can't be real. Like that's got to be a friend. No, but man, may maybe those people just have it figured out, right? Like maybe they just have this perspective where they see everything in life as an opportunity to glorify God. Yeah, maybe we should admire their passion instead of kind of mock it, laugh at it. Let's tie this all together. Passion is something God wants. We see that. Right. Um, and passion is something we need as, as people, right? Passion is what what's motivates us, what gets us out of bed, right? See, if you look at, like, just the great things people do, it's, like, undergirded by passion, right? And so what is ultimately, then, the result of an increased passion for God, right? What's kind of the payoff? If we can put it up, next slide. 
If your passion for God increases, your intimacy with him will increase. Your trust in him will increase. Your joy in life will increase. Your love for others will increase. Your desire to serve will increase. Those are all the awesome byproducts of growing in our passion for God. And conversely, right, if your passion for God decreases, if your relationship with God is purely academic, purely intellectual, or straight up fake, right, then what? Your intimacy with Him will decrease, your trust in Him will decrease. Your joy in life will decrease. Your love for others will decrease. Your desire to serve will decrease. And maybe some of you guys see that in your life right now. Everything is just decrease, decrease, decrease. If your passion for God increases, your family, your workplace, your community, your church will all become better places. When we truly live according to the Spirit, beautiful supernatural things happen. If you want to live a God-glorifying life, it will take a passion-powered life. Repeat that. If you want to, and I'm assuming if you're a Christian, you want to. If you want to live a God-glorifying life, it will take a passion-powered life, a spirit-powered life. You cannot muster it up. We've all tried and failed, right? We see how that goes. If this church, if Savior Community Church is just known as a place that has just good doctrine, good theology, but no deep-seated passion for God, Jesus is going to rebuke us just like he rebuked the church in Ephesus. So let's take heed of Jesus' words then. Let's remember the love we had at first. Let's repent where we need to repent. And let's do the work of abiding in Christ so that our passion will increase individually and corporately. Amen? Let's pray. God, um, we confess just our lack of passion, just our lack of zeal, when we see your affection for us, when we see the cross, when we see your mercies are new every morning, when we see the undeserved grace in our life, when we see all the ways you bless us, it's so abundantly clear that you're passionate about us, God. And yet, yeah, we, we, have, a, we have a hard time, God. We have a hard time reciprocating that. Our hearts and minds just wander 
and we misplace our passion in the things of this world, hoping that, yeah, they'll give the happiness and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that only you can give. And so, Lord, would you convict us of the places where we need to repent? Um, yeah, would we take inventory of our lives and, and identify the areas um, yeah, that are keeping us from following you, from loving you wholeheartedly, God? Holy Spirit, would you instill in us um, yeah, just a fire and a passion for you and the things of God? We need your help. Uh, it's something that we can't muster up on our own with our flesh, but we need your spirit to do this. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us, that you don't give up on us, um, yeah, that you keep pursuing us, and that you keep drawing us near to you. And so we thank you for loving us, God. We want to sing these songs just as a response to that. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.